Hello, world. Hey, world. Hello, world. Welcome to Hello, world. The future is female. Hi, everybody. I'm Isabella from Hello World, the Future is Female. And today I'm joined by Devar Ardalan. She's an award-winning media executive, tech entrepreneur, founder of Tooler by Eye, which we'll get into later. Um, she was formerly um, you know, a journalist at National Geographic and NPR. And then her expertise really is in voice AI and the pivotal role in um, women and nature, culture, all that. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Isabel. Great to be here. So I kind of wanted to start off with your name. Obviously, it's Iran Devar Ajalan, but you were telling me that professionally you go by Devar. Could you explain kind of why and where this came from? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I was born Iran Davar Ajalan, Iran named after the country of Iran. And I was going to high school in Brookline, Massachusetts during the 80s. And it was incredibly difficult to use the name Iran. Um, as you can imagine, there was a lot going on with post-revolution and the American hostages were being kept in Tehran. And it was uh, a very, very chaotic and difficult time. And so I decided to drop my first name, which is Iran, and go with my middle name. Uh, in Farsi, it's pronounced Davar. And I'm named after my great-grandfather, who was uh, one of the justice ministers in Iran before the revolution and had helped uh, bring a modern legal system to Iran. So uh, professionally and through uh, college, I just went with Devar Ardalan. And it's just interesting because Devar is not a Persian name and yet it's still, you know, exotic <laughs> and people <laughs> yeah. are confused. Like, who are you really? But yeah. I think I've been able to overcome that and really um, be able to do a lot of my pro professional career uh, focusing on my work and not so much on my identity. Uh, having said that, I love it when I'm with my Persian community to be able to say, please call me Iran. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it makes sense because I think a lot of people like my middle name is Faranaz, but obviously my first name is Isabella. And I think my parents did it so that people wouldn't have to question like, where are you like really from? Like, how do you say your name? All of this. But I think there's something to say about like being proud of who you are. And I think being maybe American is really being able to embrace all these different cultures. And like, you should be able to, you know, pronounce Iran, not Iran, Iran. And um, yeah, so I thought it was interesting. Um, I kind of wanted to go into your representation in the media, kind of why you wanted to prioritize women's voices, specifically Iranian voices, whether it was Tulip AI or your other project, Freedom Speaks. Could you kind of share some of the challenges you faced in really ensuring proper representation and authenticity, and authenticity the way that it was designed to? Sure. I mean, I think historically uh, women have not had um, a large voice when it comes to shaping um, history shaping mainstream media, especially mm -hmm. in the West. And um, I have a book next to me. Um, it's called uh, The Mirrors of My Heart, A Thousand Years of Persian Poetry by Women. Oh, okay. Wow. A thousand years of Persian poetry by women. And one of the women in here, uh, several of them actually, their poems were discovered only after they passed away by their male relatives. Okay, mm -hmm. so their sons, for example, were looking at the book of Saadi and yeah. they opened it and there was their mom's mm -hmm. poems. 
So I think that is uh, one of the reasons why I have tried in my career to be able to find ways to um, empower women to share their stories, especially women of different backgrounds, because I think it allows us to show our fuller selves that especially as Iranian women, we do have a remarkable history, a rich shoulder of legends that we stand upon who have come before us, who have talked about the importance of freedom of expression or freedom of speech. And so in that way, uh, I've tried, whether it's my work at NPR News or at National Geographic or through the work I've done on voice AI to be able to look at how we can use uh, media and AI for the preservation of culture, for the amplification of incredible stories that have sometimes been lost to history. And now we're at such a critical, critical time with AI expanding um, and being such an integral part of our lives to make sure that women not only are heard, uh, but also represented as we build this future. Yeah, I think it's like, I obviously I've read like Hafez and Rumi and all these like male figures. And I think there are perspectives on women, but it's almost like everyone is trying to speak for women instead of letting them speak for themselves. And I didn't realize there was such a rich history of female poetry. Cause like if I Google like Persian poetry, it's like male guys to listen to. So yeah, it's interesting. I think it's important to amplify women's voices from the perspective of like almost serving as a medium for their message rather than trying to speak for them. Um, on the topic of like trying to amplify women's voices, what do you think is kind of the best way or the way that will reach the largest audience, especially now with AI and um, kind of computer science taking a toll? Sure. I mean, I think that uh, there's a lot of amazing organizations uh, that, you know, it's important to be able to step back and do your research and see which organizations you want to be able to join to actively support or volunteer in. So women in AI is one of them. Um, uh, there is many different women in technology groups. And I think within that realm, uh, generative AI um, tools like ChatGPT, Jasper AI, and others, in fact, can empower uh, women who perhaps uh, are more technical, but not necessarily comfortable in the written word because you can actually use these tools responsibly to write more proactively, to be able to engage more proactively. I definitely have noticed that in the technology sphere, even within women uh, who are um, incredibly um, pioneering, they don't always feel comfortable sharing their story, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily because they don't feel comfortable writing. It's just that they're more introverted, perhaps. Right. And I think that some of these generative AI tools are going to be really interesting in helping women actually activate that side of them to be more engaging, um, engaging with communications tools to be able to share their message more widely. Um, there is no sort of secret, honestly. I think that um, we have amazing examples of women leaders who are amplifying the voices of women. Um, we just need to make sure that not only do we need to get more women in technology, but we also need to help them share their stories more widely. 
Yeah, I was reading one of your like pieces in I think NPR and obviously you're a journalist. So I'm curious as to like how that perspective influenced your, I guess, more of the complexities and nuances of representing a country holistically and being proud to share your opinions on it and all that. Sure. When I was at NPR News, um, obviously in the 22 years of my career at NPR Iran was always in the news, um, mostly for negative reasons. But because we were public broadcasting, uh, there was a lot of appetite for cultural stories. And so between all of us who were there at different times, uh, there were there are many Iranian um, Americans who work in public media. Um, you know, you share stories about Nowruz or you mm-hmm. have um, the remarkable women who've written so many books who come from uh, Iranian heritage on to showcase their writings. And I think that um, it's very much known that Iranian women in particular are powerhouses when it comes to uh, cultural contribution and freedom of speech. So it wasn't very hard to convince like NPR, you know, managing editors or your editors that you wanted to cover a topic. Uh, But I think that there was a time in 2009 when um, there were the protests against the um, disputed presidential election at the time. And I ended up, because of the fact that I'm bilingual, being able to uh, report on it on the front page of NPR.org uh, mm-hmm. for a period of two or three weeks. Uh, there was always you know, a story or an update on NPR.org. And um, later that year in December, when uh, I got my evaluation, my boss said that I needed to back off from uh, covering Iran or pitching stories on Iran. And it was really fascinating because I thought that, you know, I was actually making NPR look really good Mm -hmm. to be able to have these latest dispatches that were coming from social media, from the streets. And it ended up not working in my favor in my evaluation. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's crazy because I would think that like having like a personal perspective would add to something, but I guess in a lot of ways, like, like you were saying in the media, there is like a portrayal of certain countries and how that fits in with like American culture and context. I guess I'm curious, like what are one of the biggest misconceptions about Iran that you've been trying to kind of fix through, you know, Tulip AI or any of your projects? Um, Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that there's a huge uh, dichotomy between um, the values of the Islamic uh, Republic and Iran post-revolution and the values that a more modern, a more pragmatic, a more progressive Iran that is inclusive of the voices of women, the voices of religious um, minorities, uh, you know, it has a has that place, right? So there is a dichotomy. And how do you, as an Iranian diaspora who happens to be very successful in this country, I don't mean me, I mean our community is mm-hmm. very highly educated, uh, you know, probably more affluent because of the education levels and um, contributions in high tech. So how do you balance the fact that you're from this heritage which has a rich and deep history, but is currently in, um, you know, um, turmoil in the sense that even the Islamic Republic doesn't know what its identity is. 
right? Yeah. And so I think that it's important to always have the um, hindsight of history and to be able to know that you're just a part of, you know, a speck in the larger history of humanity and that your culture is very rich and deep. And what is your responsibility as a journalist? Your responsibility is to make sure that that rich and deep history is also uh, goes to print and is showcased so that people only don't think of the negative things that are happening in the last 40 years, that there's, you know, probably 4,000 years before that, that um, Iran and Persian civilization uh, contributed in remarkable ways to history, to scientific endeavors. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know that the mathematician um, Khwarazmi mm -hmm. uh, inspired arithmetics or mm -hmm. even the word algorithm. So these are the things that we need to hold on to, that yes, um, we are in the midst of, uh, you know, 2023, where still Iran is a pariah, but as a community, what is our responsibility to be able to echo stories from history so that we don't, are not defined in one dimensional ways? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Cause I think when I think of Iran, I think very isolated, like whether they show off the internet or I think the perspective of Iran is obviously one direction, but then it's like, when I really look into the country, it's kind of like, and I was reading this thing of like, there was this paradox of Persia, but I almost think it's kind of like in Iran now because Persia, I think people think it's beautiful and rich in culture and all that. But in Iran, it's almost like it's full of turmoil and conflict and all that. Um, but when diving deeper, obviously, there's like a history of women's rights and something that I think you've been uncovering a little bit with voice AI. And so I kind of wanted to go into Tulip AI, um, obviously the company that you created with AI and culture kind of combining. What inspired you to create this and really harvest um, and harness AI to create an audience, like engaging content? Absolutely. Um, you know, like many entrepreneurs, uh, the first uh, startup I did um, called iVow AI, which was uh, looking at the intersection of culture and data. Uh, unfortunately, I had to close that uh, last May, actually. Uh, but then given this past uh, winter, when generative AI uh, really came to the fore, um, the power of uh, being able to use large language models to amplify uh, work and content was really fascinating to me. And I found it enchanting uh, because I can combine my journalistic ethics and my um, toolkit as a journalist to look at things objectively and then come to tools like ChatGPT and be able to use them in a way that's responsible, mm -hmm. right? So um, Tulip AI is essentially the intersection of media and AI. I do two things. One is um, I offer consultancy with media that is trying to understand these tools. So whether it's Synthesia or ChatGPT or Jasper or Botsonic, to be able to help um, creators um on you know uh, help them understand what these tools are good for but also we for example are creating something called data articles and this is very much proprietary technology that is in its early stages 
but there's a lot of open data and how can we apply uh, gen AI to open data and make it easier for reporters and journalists, for example, to cover climate change. Mm -hmm. So if you have a body of open data that uh, comes from the United Nations about land temperatures around the world, can you go to a web app and simply say, you know, write a story on climate change in Germany, and it's not writing it hallucinating, it's writing it based on open data sets that you have, um, you know, mm -hmm. linked to. So that's really cool. Uh, that's what I'm excited about. And so it's not so much necessarily around culture as it is more around using these AI tools to be able to um, form new ways or efficient ways of telling stories. Wow, that's so cool. Because I, I think like when I was reading a lot of articles about Iran or these like more complex things, all of the accurate information is very inaccessible, whether it's like with paywalls or subscriptions and all this. And so like getting misinformation is very easy. And I think when forming an opinion, obviously you want to have all this like accurate information and having it publicly available. I know at Stanford, you were talking about how like a lot of the websites, especially if they're like coming from Iran, they're like not accurate and they're written actually by the government. So I don't know. I'm very excited about that project. So <laughs> I'll definitely be looking into where it goes. Um, but yeah, with Tulip AI, obviously it's with AI, but also using data and and information. How do you think incorporating the cultural awareness and sensitivity in AI-driven content creation can enhance its impact and really resonate with a lot of cultures, not just Iranian? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. Um, you, for example, have um, many different um, content creators who have created remarkable content and um, it's easy for audiences to access them because they follow them and sort of like, Hey, I'm going to download her podcast and listen. Mm -hmm. But what if you were able to add a co-pilot to that content so that on that website, there's a personal assistant and this personal assistant knows all of the transcripts of the information that you have shared and knows everything about your background and is able to answer questions in 25 different languages and yeah. be able to tell you what is what this podcast is about, who this person is, and really form a better, deeper, more tailored relationship with the creator through the fact that there's this AI that is multilingual and is available 24-7. So we can't, we have to start systemically thinking differently about how AI tools can empower us, especially as, as people of color, as communities of color. We have to be able to test these tools to say, well, we understand that they can be biased. We understand that the data behind them is concerning, but how do we use these tools to benefit our voices, to allow us to have a better direct relationship with our audience? So I'm going to be going to Podcast Movement um, August 21 through 25th, and I'm um, not one of the uh, presenters, but through my meetings, I'm going to be talking about and having case studies and being able to show demos of why having these co-pilots can uh, help, especially communities of color who 
most often are kept out of mainstream media. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't necessarily even know about their podcast. Uh, right. Allow them to start forming more personal uh, relationships with their audiences. Yeah, I think there's like this big notion of AI like taking over the world, as you probably know. But I think if it's used in a way that like, I think it starts with our mindset of how we want to use it. And if it can facilitate I guess on the individual level, but, you know, potentially on the business level as well, then it can just enhance the impact we as humans and connect us as like more of a united front, I guess, over the world, um, which obviously is important. I think I am interested on the business side with the co-piloting or different AI features with Tulip AI. Do you think it can help like looking at more of larger businesses or, or is it focused kind of on individuals and helping, you know, personal things? Sure. So uh, the co-pilot is definitely, um, I'm actually using third-party um, uh, no-code chatbot builders. And that's when I consult with the creators, I'm actually informing them on which ones to use. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the context of AI co-pilots, imagine that um, the engagement that you're having with the audience is not just to have them access the archives, but there's a gamification element where it'll say the chatbot will be like, make sure and listen to next week's episode. And if you tell me what the secret word is, you know, uh, I'll give you this or that. So okay. you can actually, you absolutely can have this, have a business um, dimension to it because it's like putting the second floor on your content. When you put the second floor on your content, you're going to be able to monetize it. Uh, because you're a- actually giving audiences more personalized information um, and you're gamifying it. So I think there's a huge potential for business. Yeah, I think there's this aspect of like with AI, especially in high school, like people think if we use AI, we're going to like become less intelligent um, because we'll kind of rely on it. But I think it's almost the perspective of like, the more, the less we have to like think about of the mundane things or like things that are not necessarily using our like creative side or intellectual side, the more we can actually do because we're kind of allocating it to, you know, a co-pilot or something that AI that we're still instructing it to do, but it's almost like taking over the things that are taking up our time where we could have been, you know, focused on a more innovative or creative project. So absolutely. Yeah, I'm curious, like for my final question, I always ask like how um, people are going to change the world now or even in the near future. And I'm curious whether it's like either through AI, journalism, yeah, all of your different projects, how you think you're going to do this? Um, Well, I think, Isabella, it's important for uh, anyone at any stage in their life to be humble and I think that the best thing I can do is make sure the next generation is empowered and I offer opportunities for the next generation to um, want to continue this work. I think that's the biggest thing you can do because no one person is ever going to be able to do that. It's all about whether you're humble and you're collaborative and that you want to open spaces for other people uh, that you're going to be able to have this kind of knowledge continue. So Mm -hmm. I would say that I'm honored that you asked to speak with me and I think you're the future. And I would like to know how you're going to change the world because I think you will. And I think that each of us, you know, 
at different stages of our lives, and now I'm 59 years old, uh, you really need to pause and make sure that uh, you're not only trying to continuously climb mountains, but that you're bringing everybody along with you. And um, that's sort of my philosophy right now. Okay, well, I guess for me, then I guess I will share. Um, I think, yeah, like I suppose, I guess what you said of it's important for me to take into account other perspectives. I think as a high schooler, I think of like anyone who's older than me is like, they are so wise and they have, I should just take in their advice. And then younger than me, like I shouldn't really take in their advice because I know more. But I think there's something to say about like, advice from all ages is meant to be considered, not necessarily taken personally. And I think if I like in my head build my own kind of like board of directors and make sure that I have different perspectives that, you know, different ages, different races, whatever, and just different ideas, I think that can make me a more informed person. And then therefore, like actually in the world, my community that I'll surround myself with and the projects that I do will kind of represent what my little board of directors of Isabella Nation (laughs) decided. And I think it's important as I'm getting older, because there's this aspect of like, when you're young, you're kind of interesting. And then when you get older, like you kind of have to do more to stay in the media or stay kind of in focus and education. Um, But I kind of just want to always make sure that I'm staying with the times of whether it's targeting a younger audience, keeping them informed, keeping them engaged, not considering them naive or, you know, not interested in learning, but also making sure that I'm keeping the perspectives of people who have already done a lot of the work and who are willing to mentor me and help me. Um, So, yeah, I guess it's just making sure I have that open perspective in order for me to create change in a positive way that is most impactful. But yeah, yeah, I love it. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this podcast. That's it for today's episode. Remember to stay positive, stay inspired, and change the world. Bye, everyone. Bye.